Stand by while NCLA cuts through the noise to signal abuse of administrative power. This is Administrative Static with Mark Chenoweth and John Vecchione. Welcome to Administrative Static. This is John Vecchione, and I'm joined by Mark Chenoweth, as usual. And uh, the first thing uh, I want to talk about, uh, as far as administrative law goes, is that the Federal Trade Commission is at it again. Uh, the statute that animates the FTC um, basically uh, is states that it can... Um, go after uh, uh, certain um, things in the marketplace that are either unfair or deceptive. Now, that, if with a creative administrator, can be shoved into any possible um, activity they don't like. And boy, do we have an example today of that. The FTC has decided and has started to enter into consent agreements that prohibit the use of non-competes. Now, non-compete clauses or non-compete agreements are a long-standing tool between uh, employers and employees that say that if you work here and learn our secrets and learn how we do things, you can then not, within this market, usually within 20 miles, but sometimes it's different, you cannot then go work at another place that does the same thing. And there are all kinds of permutations of this. The the real crown jewels of this is, uh, and and where it had most use in the old days was sales lists. The the crown jewel of of marketing and retail were the sales lists and who, who were the customers and who bought. And so if you worked for these companies, they would they started to say that you couldn't use these lists when you left. And, and that was always upheld because that was, that was almost like um, your, uh, your intellectual property. Um, but they expanded and expanded. And the non-competes, I've litigated against them many times. They can become overbroad and they can become unfair. But guess what? The FTC is not the only actor in this area. All of the states have laws on this. And some of the states absolutely agree with the FTC and do not like non-competes. And these these states have absolutely forbidden, you can't have a non-compete, except I, I have to say, all the states that I know of do the, that core group of sales lists and information from the company, that type of thing uh, you can't do. But that's more in the, in the nature of not taking stuff out of your company. Um, so, 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 the non-competes, and it's unclear right now what, whether the FTC is even going to allow that. And in the nonprofit sector, it's not taking fundraising lists That's when, right. you, when you leave. Or... Exactly, exactly. It's the same sort of thing. And um, But the non-competes are, you can't work here, you can't work there. And and what's happened is for highly compensated in- individuals, these non-competes are part of their high compensation. So if Coke doesn't want it's somebody to learn everything it does to sell its sugar water um, and go to Pepsi and teach them how to sell their sugar water. Uh, that the, the fact is, is that carbonated sugar water um, 
if you've got the secret on how to sell it better, they don't want you going to the competitors and, and they will have a non-competer or, or they'll have financial um, uh, uh, incentives not to do that. But the other thing you can do and the thing that makes non-compete so powerful is you can actually get an injunction. So you can go to court and get an injunction for them to work for your competitor and you can sue the competitor. So just the, the fact of these um, non-competes often stops you from going there. And, and often stops the competitor from hiring you right. if they know that you're subject to a non-compete. Correct. Correct. And so so what happens is so it does it does interfere with the free movement of labor. I don't disagree with that. But the FTC wasn't given power to, to regulate everything in the American market it doesn't it doesn't like. And um, the, the problem with the FTC is there used to be this old commercial for tomato sauce. And they're trying to convince the grandmother that uh, it's as good as her sauce and that she can use the, start, the, the jar of tomato sauce. And, and the ad was, uh, onions, oh, they're in there. Tomatoes, it's oh, in this there. this is their old ragu oh, ad. Yeah, sauces, sauce. yeah, it's in there, right? And then the like, son would say everything's in there. Well, the FTC, oh, I want to regulate the world. Oh, it's in there. That, that's their story. And the fact of the matter is, is that the recent Supreme Court decisions like um, West Virginia v. EPA, that, that a general uh, uh, allocation of power by Congress is, is um, constrained by the idea of a major question. Well, whether non-compete should be there or not is a major question, and the states disagree about it, and Congress has never addressed it. Why is FTC getting involved? And their their story about it is that it's really been pushed down so that, you know, sandwich makers at um, Jimmy John's are, are under non-competes, I, I think, is the allegation. Well, that is a pro- maybe a problem, but it can be addressed by other people who aren't the FTC. Yeah, the, and this is a straight-up matter of state contract law. So the states are the ones that are best positioned to address this. It, it, it's, it's absolutely correct. And and to wipe out the laws of all these states by uh, by Federal Trade Commission fiat. And, and now here's the other way they're doing it. They're entering into consent agreements with companies that are willing to knuckle under to their nonsense. Now, sometimes they do it because of expense, right? You don't want to get in litigation. But these, non, these, these consent agreements come out. And then when you're the next company in the line, they send you a bunch of these consent agreements. You know what consent agreements are? If you're not a party to them, they are they're non-binding. Be- no, they are best. <laughs> I was going to say they are best used in your bathroom. That's it. Uh, the fact is, they're nothing, and they the court should the court should not only not look at them. The court should penalize the FTC for for citing a consent agreement as precedent for anything, because it is absolutely horrible. That the FTC does this, they either get a weak company or maybe even a collusive company. Maybe they get the CEO, CEO of a company who doesn't really care about the issue, and they go against him, and it's like, oh, okay. or one that's on the way out the door. That's right. And so some of and these these agreements are also now uh, they they bind the CEO. So what's ap- actually happened is that what the FTC is trying to do is say anyone who hires this guy, their company can't use non competes either. And what does that do? Well, that's just like a non-compete. That guy who's under this order by the FTC now cannot move companies as easily because who wants a guy who travels with them a, a, a violation of your contract rights? I don't. So the thing is, as far as you enter these agreements with the FTC, they're really non-competes <laughs> for you. Uh, so uh, nice it, point, John. it is an absolute it's an absolute horror, and, and it really shows the, the current leadership of the FTC 
doesn't really believe in limited government or administrative law. They believe in power. They, that's all they believe in because because you, they're a hammer and they see nails everywhere. You would not do this if you had any humility in what your job actually was. You wouldn't do it. Now, um, now I could or fidelity or fidelity. It's exactly right. The idea that they are allowed to and and don't forget, it's the majority of states allow some kind of non compete. Um, and to 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 have the hubris to say that they're all wrong and you're right. And and I say this as someone who thinks that uh, they're overused and that they're unjust in oh. a lot of cases. I'm not saying, but the idea that that the that Federal Trade Commission gets to do this um, after a hundred years of development of non-compete law, uh, that all the all the states and the judiciary and the Congress look at these things. Um, you know what I find interesting w- would be a closer case, a much closer case. Um, but you, you could still fight back at it. But would be what the the, the government also has uh, does federal contracting, right? And if they think that people under sixty thousand dollars, that it'd be unfair to to have federal contracts to somebody who doesn't let their employees move when they have no secrets or anything with a non compete. If if they made this a federal contracting question on a case by case basis, they could have they could actually have. Um, more accurate studies behind it and all the rest. Except guess what other area the FTC is not in charge of? Government contracting. Right, right, exactly. But well, I was trying to think what federal <laughs> no, no, thing would be sure. allowed. And and when Congress hasn't acted, there really shouldn't be any. And and that was the only one I came up with where they might be able to make a, a case. But again, that, that would be for the parties that wanted to, to federally contract. It wouldn't be for the whole world now looking at litigation with the FTC for doing what everyone's done and what all, every state, what is lawful activity. This is lawful activity that they are trying to make illegal by administrative fiat, and that is an outrage. Lawful activity and consensual activity. You don't have to sign these things if you don't want to. And, and John, I come at this the same way you do. I mean, the only lawsuit that my dad was ever in was a lawsuit over a non-compete clause that he had signed. And, uh, you know, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but I'll just say it was extremely broad into both in terms of duration and geographic area. Uh, and, you know, he he lost that case and he had to he had to leave the area where he was living in order to continue to practice medicine. Um, but, you know, he signed it. I know. And those medical I've I've done those medical ones as well. And 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 it's it's been really bad. But but um I always, I'm, you know, the 20, I'm always like, can get 20.1 miles away <laughs> because they, well, they routinely for, for at least 20 would have been fine. This was over a hundred miles away. Uh, yeah. and, and, uh, that's nothing in Kansas, right? Yeah. <laughs> anyway, they, I, I, it reminds me of the one, the old joke that, uh, English, uh, the English people say Americans think, uh, a hundred, a hundred years is a long time. And uh, English people think a hundred miles is a long distance, <laughs> but, um, but in any event that yes, exactly. So you, you are, you could be out of the real market and you still are bound by these things. And that is just not good. So we will be looking at the FTC comments are due. Uh, I think there's going to be a lot of comments. There already have been, and let's hope the FTC pulls in its horns. Because, yeah, about, about 60 days, right? Is yeah. March yeah, 20th, something I, I like that? That's it, March 17th, something like that. Okay. Uh, so St. Patrick's Day, get your comments in. But in any event, it's, beware of the Ides of March. Yes, exactly. So, but it is, it's just overreach. And this this FTC has shown that it doesn't believe there are any limits on it, none at all. 
And that is not good for an administrative agency to act on anyone. To administrative static. Mark Chenoweth here with John Vecchioni. And, and John, I wanted to tell people about uh, something that NCLA uh, did this past week that we don't often do, uh, which is that we filed a petition with a federal agency asking for it to amend uh, a regulation. And why did we do this? Well, because we took the issue all the way up to the Supreme Court and lost. And so we're, we're kind of out of options. Uh, folks may remember we talked about this case last year. It was the Buffington v. McDonough case. We had filed a cert petition with the Supreme Court uh, over uh, this veterans benefit uh, issue. Our client, Thomas Buffington, uh, had been discharged from the, the military. He had uh, uh, disability benefits uh, uh, relating to some uh, tinnitus that he was uh, suffering. And then he was recalled to active duty after 9-11 and served for a little bit. And then when he was uh, discharged again, uh, honorably, then uh, the benefits would have started immediately after he was discharged. But there was a regulation that the VA had, had put into effect that said, uh, first of all, they don't restart until you ask for them to restart. And they will, if you wait more than a year to ask for them to restart, then you can only go back a year for benefits. You can't go all the way back to when you left uh, the military. And that's not what the statute says. And so we had asked the, uh, the the courts to take a look at this VA regulation and decide that it was inconsistent with the statute. Instead, what the courts did was look at the uh, look at the regulation and defer to the agency uh, under Chevron. And we thought that was a problem because there's a, a substantive canon that suggests in, in cases of ambiguity uh, that you should construe a statute in a way that's favorable to uh, the veterans benefits uh, beneficiary. Uh, but that is not what the courts uh, did. And as I say, we took it all the way to the Supreme Court. We got a nice dissent from denial of cert from Justice Gorsuch. John, you may remember he, uh, you know, he said that, uh, that, that uh, our veterans like uh, Mr. Buffington deserved better uh, from the VA and from the federal courts, which I thought was a nice grace note uh, on, his, uh, on his dissent uh, from denial of cert. But that still leaves Mr. Buffington and others in his situation, uh, in uh, you know, in the unfortunate situation that they are denied some of the benefits to which they are statutorily entitled. So uh, we took it uh, upon ourselves, as I say, something we don't often do, don't make a regular practice of. Uh, but we decided uh, this this past week or so to file a petition asking the Department of Veterans Affairs to amend its controversial regulation regarding payment of benefits to veterans who have been deemed eligible for disability benefits, uh, but who later return uh, temporarily uh, to active duty. And as I say, this, this regulation denies many disabled veterans the benefits uh, to which federal law entitles them. 
uh, we uh, we joined in this uh, petition with Concerned Veterans for America Foundation, and together NCLA and CVAF are urging VA to do the right thing. So even though they won this case uh, in court, we're asking them to amend the rule to reinstate disability benefits that are due to veterans who return to active duty the moment that they uh, leave uh, active duty, or I should say veterans uh, I guess veterans who are discharged the moment that they leave uh, active duty. So, Vec, uh, I don't, I don't know whether the VA is going to uh, act on this. As I say, they've won, they've won the case. So, you know, they could just stand by and but I, I rest do, on their laurels. I do think you know the sign outside the Veterans uh, uh, Administration has that quote from Lincoln about you'll care for his children and his the widows, widows and, and all that, yeah. right? And um, I. I do think that at least the VA, we've ha I have seen petitions to the VA where um, oftentimes it hasn't been fully uh, brought to everyone's attention what's going on. And then the veterans organizations do have some pull to say this isn't right, particularly, look, he's, he's asked for it, he deserves it. Why would you cut it off? Why would there be a statute of limitations that's not in the statute? Right. And so um, it makes sense, and it's kind of with their mission. I don't know if they'll kick real hard. Well, I hope you're right. I mean, I, I think even the VA justifies this regulation on quite dubious policy grounds. Uh, the VA asserted in the Buffington litigation that the threat of benefit forfeiture for those who delay seeking the resumption of benefits incentivizes the veterans to file timely applications after leaving active service. That, that may or may not be true, but that's, uh, that is not what the statute calls for. And, and so such argument, arguments do not justify ignoring the plain text of the statute. Moreover, I think this argument isn't, isn't all that well taken because disabled veterans already have an incentive to notify, to notify the VA as soon as their active service ends because they don't get payments until they notify uh, the VA. The VA doesn't automatically find out. And I mean, I suppose that's another way that it could be changed. It could be that the military would be the one that would notify the VA when someone is discharged rather than uh, rather than the service member themselves notifying the VA. But that's not the way it works right now. Uh, but in any event, the VA can't resume making payments until it knows that someone's active service has ended. So veterans have an incentive already to notify the VA to avoid uh, delaying the receipt of their accrued benefits. So I think the fact that uh, that the VA is trying to justify this uh, this benefit forfeiture uh, as an incentive, uh, first of all, the incentive isn't necessary. And second of all, it's way too harsh uh, an incentive uh, to have the forfeiture uh, of the benefit uh, in that uh, in that scenario. And it's 100% forfeiture. I mean, you just don't get the benefit uh, if you if you delay in uh, in asking for it. So I'm, um, you know, I'm interested to see uh, what's going to, uh, what's going to happen here. But I think for you know, for our purposes, Avec, this is just another example of uh, the ways in which the administrative state is is ignoring statutory text and is benefiting from uh, Chevron deference. Because in this litigation, I think. It's significant that not a single judge involved in the litigation ever agreed with VA's contention that the current rule reflects the best reading of the underlying statute. No judge thinks that. Uh, we certainly don't think that. I don't even think the VA thinks that. 
But I think what the VA thinks is, aha, this is a plausible enough reading of the statute that we can get uh, Chevron deference for it and save the VA some money. I think that must be what they're what they're thinking. I don't know what other uh, incentive they would have. And, and we heard that Vec, uh, in a couple of our luncheon laws last year uh, from, I know, Roman Martinez, when he was here, talked about his time in the Solicitor General's office and that he dealt with federal agencies, that that is their mindset is how it's not what's the best reading of the statute. Let's write the regulation that way. It's how much can we get away with that we can still get Chevron deference to and write this regulation in the way we want to write it. Yeah. And it does show the, um, you know, you talk about incentives. Well, Chevron deference has right there made a, a huge incentive for them not to uh, come up with regulations that are based on the best interpretation of the statute. Isn't that the incentive there? The incentive is not to do the best job you can in following Congress's intention. Well, that's that's exactly right. And you know, the, the other thing I think that's uh, maybe telling here is that um, when the statute was originally passed, the VA had written and implemented a different regulation back in 1961 that mandated immediate resumption of disability payments following a veteran's release from active duty. So this uh, this newer regulation, and, and it's not brand new, it's been around for, uh, I don't have the year in front of me here, but it's been around for a while, maybe, I don't know, 20, 30 years, something like that. I'm not sure which administration uh, implemented this this new, uh, this new version um, uh, of it. But uh, the VA itself recognized when the statute was first written that immediate resumption of disability payments following a veteran's release from active duty was what Congress really had in mind. Uh, so to me, this is a good example of, uh, and I, I should go look at the date on this because I'd be curious whether it was before or after 1984 that this new regulation uh, got written because I bet you it's after 1984. Why? Because that's when Chevron was was passed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, course. I think in that 1961 to 1984 was time period, that was good. Did I say it was passed? <laughs> Oops. Oops. Uh, when the Supreme Court, uh, when a six judge uh, plurality, uh, a rump Supreme Court handed down the Chevron decision and accidentally worked a tremendous uh, damage to the uh, Constitution of the United States. Uh, but uh, but I, in that 1961 to 1984 period, the veteran Department of Veterans Affairs looked at the statute and said, well, I think what the statute says is immediate resumption of disability payments following a veteran's release. Then post Chevron, when the VA got used to getting deferred to all the time by federal courts, they said, hmm, I wonder if we could write a rule that changes. There's no change to the statute. None. They just changed the regulation and, and got away with it uh, because of a Chevron a deference. And so Kudos to our colleague, uh, Rich Samp, Senior Litigation Counsel here at NCLA, who was the driving force behind both the Buffington uh, litigation and this uh, petition uh, to uh, the VA. The, uh, uh, as, as Rich said in our, in our press release that we released, that we uh, issued uh, when, we, when we filed this petition, uh, VA should not adhere to a flawed and ungenerous interpretation that denies benefit payments to deserving veterans like Mr. Buffington, VA's obligation is to adopt the best reading of the statute. In this case, that means resuming disability payments to veterans as soon as they are released from active service. And I think Rich is right about that. And, and, and we'll see what happens. Now, as I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
if petition isn't acted on in like two or three years, you, you can bring a suit that they haven't responded to you, right? Yes. That, that is that is your, your remedy. That's correct. Right. And they don't have to do what you want, but they do have to have something, yeah. have to at least say something. So perhaps it will cause some uh, some thought over there. That's the hope that it'll cause some thought that uh, that the the folks who who make these decisions uh, on the policy side will at least have the opportunity to reconsider this. Uh, you know, the litigation itself was probably shipped off to DOJ or something. And and look, as I say, they they won the argument uh, in court. And they're so long as policy, and we're giving the PA an opportunity to collect on it. <laughs>